From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. As ICAC exposes apparent corruption in New South Wales, focus has been drawn back on the government's Integrity Commission, which, among other things, could not make findings of corruption. Mike Seckham on anti-corruption legislation and how politicians avoid scrutiny. A New South Wales corruption hearing has heard Chinese billionaire Wang Zhengmo gave $100,000 in cash to a senior state Labor Party official in 2015. A Chinese billionaire and an Aldi bag containing $100,000 in cash. Bombshell allegations have been made during the first public hearing into Labor Party donations. The boss of New South Wales Labor has been permanently dumped from her role after another day of sensational evidence at the ICAC. Kayla Manane broke down several times on the witness stand as she admitted she should have handled the issue of a suspect donation differently. Mike, tell me about what ICAC has heard in its inquiry into Labor and Chinese donations in New South Wales recently. Well, it's heard all sorts of colourful things um, about uh, various attempts to allegedly circumvent laws in New South Wales on political donations from developers. Mike Seckham is the Saturday Paper's national correspondent. It specifically relates to Labor officials and a group called the Chinese Friends of Labor. And it's all centred on a, a fundraising dinner that happened back in early 2015. There have been some quite extraordinary allegations. A billionaire Chinese property developer walking into Labor head office in Sussex Street with an Aldi shopping bag and personally delivering $100,000 to the party. Incidentally, this Chinese billionaire, Huang Xingmo, is now uh, not allowed back into Australia because he's been banned from the country on the advice of ASIO for allegedly being an agent of Chinese government influence. The other aspects to it are that the big donation was allegedly disguised as a series of smaller amounts from straw donors, some of whom could never have afforded such generosity because they weren't well paid. Some of them were allegedly strong-armed into falsely claiming to have made the donations, and one of them, sadly, took his own life rather than go before an ICAC inquiry. So it's been pretty dramatic. Apart from that, there's been evidence of a clandestine meeting behind Parliament House between the General Secretary of the party, Carla Manane, who's incidentally now been stood down from her position, and the former Labor MP, Ernest Wong, and also about uh, a tearful Manane seeking guidance from the former Secretary of the party, Sam Dastiari, as they drove around Sydney in his car, and his advice being to, quote, cover your ass, unquote. There's been pictures of of Huang smiling for Ernest Wong's camera at this party fundraiser as he sat at the top table alongside uh, Bill Shorten, then the federal leader, and Luke Foley, then the state leader. And I might add the inquiry is still continuing, so there's more yet to come. And how has all this been received by Labor? Well, it's seen as being a disaster for the party. I mean, it's had a number of previous scandals. And Anthony Albanese, to his credit, has already said that this is very bad for Labor and promised that there will be a shake-up of its procedures and its personnel. So um, some steps are being taken, but it's definitely a very, very bad look. Mike, ICAC's been around for 30 years in New South Wales. How did it get started? Well, it, it is Australia's original and best, dare I suggest, um, anti-corruption commission. It was set up uh, by an act of the New South Wales Parliament back in 1988, driven by Nick Greiner, who was then the Premier, and famously Greiner then became its first victim 
for wrongdoing that involved offering inducements to an MP. It was established in response to serious concern about a succession of public scandals involving various public institutions in New South Wales, and it was given very broad powers to investigate and expose public corruption, to compel witnesses, to commence its own investigations, and importantly, to hold public hearings such that justice was not only being done, but was being seen to be done. Good afternoon, Mike Tanker at Dominating 10 Eyewitness News. First at five o'clock, the Griner resignation. The New South Wales Premier quit this morning. You could imagine uh, my sense of outrage about what uh, does amount to being shot a couple of days before the trial. But nevertheless, politics is what it is. And beyond Nick Griner, there's been other wins for ICAC. What are some of the other ones? Oh, there have been some very big ones. Famously, Eddie Obeid, Ian MacDonald, Barry O'Farrell, another New South Wales Premier who fell foul of ICAC and wound up having to step down as a result. It's been very active, it's been very effective, and it's held in very high public esteem. And every other state now, and territory, has to some extent copied the model, and every state and territory now has some form of anti-corruption commission. The only jurisdiction that doesn't is the federal government. So obvious question, but why not? Well, obvious answer. Politicians uh, don't want one because presumably they have matters they would rather not see investigated. We'll be right back. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Mike, the New South Wales ICAC is currently exposing what appears to be a number of broad misdeeds around donation law, but there isn't, as you've said, any federal body to do similar work at that level. Can you tell me more about the push for a federal integrity commission? Yes, I, I can. For Many years now, the Greens and some federal independent parliamentarians, notably Tasmania's Andrew Wilkie and the members of the Centre Alliance, have been pushing for such a body. We need a national anti-corruption commission with broad-based powers that can call in people to investigate these matters. But instead what we've got, we've got the Closey Club. So have a lot of very senior and well-respected legal people. And, of course, it's uh, very, very popular in terms of public opinion. But the major parties have resisted up until the beginning of last year when Labor became the first of the major parties to propose one, largely, I would suggest, at the pushing of Mark Dreyfus, the Shadow Attorney-General. It adopted a, a proposal, quite a strong proposal, into its policy platform. The coalition, however, did not follow suit for the better part of a year and then uh, just before the end of last year put up its own model and then took that to the election saying that it, like Labor, would uh, support an integrity commission. So essentially trying to uh, neutralise that particular difference between the two. So what's the coalition's idea of what a Commonwealth integrity commission would look like? 
Well, the coalition proposal comes in two parts, one arm of which would slightly extend the scope of an existing body, the Australian Commission for Law Enforcement Integrity, which, as its name indicates, basically deals with with law enforcement agencies, but possibly a few others. The second arm, though, as proposed by the government, would be far more limited in its powers, and that's the arm that would cover politicians and their staff, Commonwealth public servants and contractors to the government. And it would be very constrained. It would not, first of all, be able to hold public hearings. It would not be able to initiate its own inquiries. It would not be able to act on tip-offs from whistleblowers or from the public. It would act only on the instruction of agency heads or the government. It would not be able to seize evidence or conduct surveillance. It would not be able to make findings of corruption, only to determine if a case was strong enough for it to be referred to the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions for criminal prosecution. So there's a clear distinction between corrupt behaviour and criminal behaviour, and this would only be able to look into potential criminal behaviour. And would a body like that be effective, do you think? When I was reporting this, I spoke to Stephen Charles, AOQC, uh, former Justice of the Victorian Supreme Court, and one of the leading experts in this murky area going back some 30 years. And he said what the federal government is proposing would actually be worse than nothing because uh, it would allow them to deflect criticism that they weren't acting and say, see, we have a body, while the body itself was, was largely impotent. New research was provided to me from the Centre for Public Integrity, which compared the powers of the various state and territory anti-corruption bodies. It found, for example, that New South Wales and Queensland came out the best, Victoria, Tasmania and South Australia were the weakest, but the model being proposed by uh, the Attorney-General, Christian Porter, and by Scott Morrison, they found was weaker than any of them. For example, the recent allegations of corruption relating to Crown Casino wouldn't be able to be investigated. The investigation that took place into the activities of Eddie O'Bede wouldn't be able to be investigated because those were initiated by a public tip-off. A lot of the Crown Casino stuff came from whistleblowers. Those are specifically prohibited under the Porter model, so they wouldn't get past square one. And it would be an anti-corruption body that can't make findings of corruption. Yes, I know. It, it seems silly, but that's essentially true. And basically the foundation of this proposal is that something would have to be known to be illegal before it could be investigated. Possibly not known, but reasonably suspected to be illegal before it could be prosecuted, which kind of makes you wonder what it's there for, because surely that's the purpose of having such a body, is to find out what misdeeds have been done. So, you know, if you already know that it's wrong, it could be prosecuted right now if you already knew it was illegal. We have to remember here that these laws are passed by the same people who would be being investigated. So the loopholes are there to some extent by design because there is a symbiotic relationship here between donors and political parties. And it's not in the interests, particularly I would suggest, of conservative parties because they're the ones who rely on corporate donations more than the other parties. There's a strong interest on their part not to do anything that would close off that pipeline of money. And what would an effective Federal Integrity Commission actually investigate? Well, Stephen Charles, he gave a very strong speech in Brisbane a couple of weeks ago in which he enumerated a number of areas that a federal body might be interested in looking into, such as, for example, Australia's recent submarine contracts, which appear on the face of them to have been extraordinarily expensive, allegations of systematic fraud in the Defence Department, some dubious closed tenders for lucrative contracts related to offshore detention, the misuse of the entitlements of members and senators. And this is, this is a pertinent one at the moment. 
the movement of ministers and senior bureaucrats from government into the private sector where they leverage their knowledge and their contacts for post-politics employment. You know, you could add a few more. I would add, for example, Australia's spying on East Timor, where under the guise of an aid project, we bug their parliamentary offices. And in that case, of course, so far, Christian Porter has shown interest only in prosecuting those who blew the whistle on the government's illegal actions. And where's Porter's proposal at the moment? Well, it's it's sort of disappeared into a black hole. Our model was put out at the end of last year. It was promised during the election that something would happen this year. A little money was allocated in the budget. But so far, we've seen no legislation. We've seen a consultation process that has gone nowhere. And there's nothing on the legislative agenda for this year. So this proposal, which, you know, as you've laid out, is deficient, even that is off the table as far as we can see through 2020. At this stage, yep, that's right. The federal sphere still has no anti-corruption body and is not likely to get one anytime soon if this government has its way. Mike, on Monday, a Greens bill that proposes a stronger anti-corruption body passed the Senate. What's likely to happen next with that? The Greens have proposed a much stronger model, much more along the lines of the New South Wales body. They have actually put a piece of legislation to the Senate had the support of Labor, had the support of most of the crossbench, and it has passed and will now go back to the House, which will really put the weights on the government to um, either agree to it or to be seen to be in support of a much weaker alternative. But it's not likely to pass, surely, the House? Highly unlikely to pass the House, I would suggest. I hope to be proven wrong. Like an episode that ends, I hope to be proven wrong. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Elsewhere in the news, former Treasury Secretary Ken Henry has launched an extraordinary attack on government policy, saying that for a decade Australia has been held back by poor infrastructure, failings on housing and productivity and environmental degradation. He blamed a government that claimed to fix problems, which were actually getting worse, and said, quote, The advice of experts has been ridiculed by politicians interested only in their own personal advancement. And in the UK, Parliament has been prorogued, just as Prime Minister Boris Johnson lost another vote seeking an early election. Johnson was hoping an election could be called before Brexit. It's the sixth vote that he's lost in six days. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you Thursday.